I invite you to open up your Bibles with me once again to 1 Peter chapter 4. Starting this week in verse 7, last week we entered into chapter 4 of 1 Peter where the Apostle Peter urged his readers to arm themselves with the attitude of Jesus Christ. That is, to be willing to suffer for doing good. And in doing so, we would be effectively, decisively done with sin over it. To decide in advance to make a break with sin and to follow Jesus and to desire to do God's will. To make a break with our past. Expecting to take some flack from that, from the world. But deciding in advance to not turn back. Because it's all worth it. Following Jesus is worth it forever because of the gospel. Because Jesus Christ, who Peter says is ready to judge the living and the dead, was himself dead and is now living. So that now, even if we become dead through persecution and even martyrdom, we will always be living because of Jesus and his spirit. And having brought up the final judgment, Peter now finds himself saying, th saying something about how near we all are to it. He says in verse 7, the end of all things is near. So that's our sermon title for today. The end of all things is near. Let's read the whole thing and then pray together. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. There's our prayer. Let's pray that together. Let's pray it. Heavenly Father, we want Jesus to get the glory and the power forever and ever. We want Him to get the glory from our redemption, from having bought us with His blood, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We read about it in chapter 1. We want Him to get glory from the way we live our lives, from doing good, like we read about in chapters 2 and 3. We want Him to, to get glory from our lives because of how we live in light of His second coming. About the end of all things that we're considering here now in chapter 4. Lord, change our lives. Change maybe the direction of our lives. Certainly change our behavior and change our hearts because we've looked deeply into Your Word so that Jesus gets the glory. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. 
Perhaps somewhat ironically, this is the fourth time that I can remember preaching this particular passage to this church family. On January 6th, 2002, exactly 20 years and one month ago, 241 months ago, I preached a message entitled, What to Do When the End is Near, as we walked through 1 Peter together back in the day. Anybody, who was here on January 6th in 2002, okay? Yeah. Do you remember that message? <laughs> no. <laughs> Some of you do. Some of you are too little to remember that message. Then on November 27th, 2005, I preached a message entitled, The End is Near, on this very passage. We were doing a study then of the end times and said that this is how we should live in light of them. And then one more time, on March 15th, 2020, I preached a sermon with the very same title as my message today, drawn right out of verse 7, The End of All Things is Near. And that was the last Sunday before we stopped meeting in person for 12 weeks. Remember that? Some of you were here that day. Many of you were not. In many ways, March of 2020 felt like the end of the world. Now, of course, in many ways, it did not feel like that on March 15, 2020. It felt like perhaps a great overreaction. At the beginning of that message, I said, quote, I actually, I'm actually thinking that in a few months, we'll all be worrying about something else than this novel coronavirus. We will have, Lord willing, moved on, I hope. Sadly, I was wrong about that one. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, and I work for a nonprofit organization. We have not moved on, though we have not been stopped. We continue to be on the move with our mission, as we said last Sunday at our vision meeting. If anything, that feeling of the end of all things is near has grown for many of us. These days, I am regularly asked by people if I think we are living in the end times. And of course, the answer to that is yes. We have been living in the end times for about 2,000 years. How many people have preached on 1 Peter 4? since Peter wrote these words in about A.D. 64? The culmination of all things is at hand. Time is short. We are closer than ever to the day when God visits us, like we say in our Hide the Word verse 2.12. That was true when Peter wrote it. And it was just as true when I preached it in 2002, and it was just as true when I preached it in 2005, and it was just as true when I preached it in 2020, and it's just as true today on February 6, 2022. In fact, it may be even truer because we are closer now than ever. Now, are we at the end of the end times? I have no idea. I do not know the day or the hour and none of you do either. Our Lord Jesus, remember when we saw this at the end of Matthew, the book of Matthew? Our Lord Jesus did not know when he was going to return, when he taught about his return. Of course we don't know when. 
The New Testament emphasis on the nearness of the end of all things is not on date setting, but on godly living. We know that it is coming, that it is coming, and soon we don't know when, so we live ready. Amen? Because we're almost home. We're almost home. Or as Peter says, the end of all things is near. Our inheritance is almost here. Peter said in chapter 1, it can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for us who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. The end of all things is near. Now people laugh that we've been saying this for 2,000 years. But it's just as true now as ever and even more true because we are so much closer than ever. We are almost home. And the end of all things is near. So, if that's true, and it is, then how should we live right now in this moment? Well, that's what Peter gives us in the next five verses. He gives us some priorities that we should set in our lives because the end of all things is near. And they might be a little surprising to you and me. Not because they're so crazy and wild and out there, but because they're so... Normal, mundane, doable. Let's look more closely at them. Verse 7 again. The end of all things is near, therefore, see that? Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Now, I've got four points this morning, and they're all very simple, even if they're not all very easy. Here's number one. The end of all things is near, therefore, number one, think clearly and pray. Think clearly and pray. Does that kind of sound anticlimactic to you? The end of all things is near. Calm down. Keep calm and pray on, like those red British posters, right? You see those? Keep calm and whatever. Keep calm and pray on. Peter says that his readers should be clear-minded and self-controlled. They should keep their wits about them. They, they should be sober-minded. In the Greek, these words could literally be translated, don't freak out. Actually, not really, but it's the idea. Don't let yourself get into a panic. Now, I think that's the exact opposite of what we think we ought to do when we're living in the end times. Like, if you hear some end times preachers, it's like, well... Go buy yourself a gun, stock up some food in your basement, right? Get your bottled water together. You might need bottled water if you're here in our township, okay? But that's not what he says about the end times. He says, calm down. Keep your head. Get your wits about you. Things are spinning out of control, but we should not be out of control. No. We should be self-controlled. The opposite of how the world acts. We saw that last week in verses 3 and 4. The world says, the world is ending. Let's party. Right? We say the world is ending. Let's pray. Are we known for this? Are followers of Jesus known for being clear-minded and self-controlled? 
Peter says that the goal of that kind of clear thinking is prayer. He says, so that you can pray. Don't freak out, focus. Don't panic, pray. Now, of course, this is easier said than done. (laughs) I'm not good at this. You didn't have to say amen, Heather Joy. I heard you down there. Amen. I'm not good at this. How about you? Were you hoping for something maybe a little more exciting? Peter's readers were suffering. Pretty soon some of them were probably going to die for following Jesus. And he's reminded them what he's reminding us. Everything is coming to a head. And we need to stay clear-minded and self-controlled so that we can pray. One of those sinful desires that wage war against our souls and our memory verse is the desire to be frantic and anxious and worry and fret and let ourselves lose it over how bad things are. I've done it again and again. I did it this week several times. Peter says, settle down. Keep calm and pray on. Not because everything is okay, but because everything is going to be okay, right? Ultimately. You are loved. And the one who loved you is in control. And he has invited you to pray to him, asking him for things. He wants you to. You know, prayer is never an imposition on God. It's never like, oh no, not you again. God's more disappointed when we don't pray. He says, I love you. Calm down and talk to me about it. The end of all things is near. Therefore, think clearly and pray. Secondly, number two, love deeply and forgive. Love deeply and forgive. Look at verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now that's an interesting priority. When the world is ending, the world is ending. Love each other deeply. Peter says that this is a top priority. He says, above all. If you don't do anything else when the world ends, make sure you're loving each other. Fervently. That first one was was internal, clear-minded, and and upward, prayerful. This this next one is external, and it's it's sideward, it's sideways, loving each other. Look around the room. Look around at the people in the room right now. Go ahead, look around at the people. You are a good-looking bunch, aren't you? Yes, you are. Yeah. If you're outside, look at the people, not just in the car with you, but try to look around and see the other people in their cars. Think about who you saw walked in the building this morning. Peter says the end of all things is near, and because of that, he wants you and me to show love to each other. People in this room. One reason for that is because we're all going to be together forever. We probably ought to start loving each other now. And remember, love is not primarily a feeling, though feelings are involved. Love is a heart commitment to seeking the best for others, even at a personal cost. 
So it's not so much like, do you feel good when you see somebody? It's are you committed to doing good by that person? So it means action. It means doing stuff. Love is a verb. It's something you do. How are you showing love to other Christians in your life right now? Remember, we're foreigners and exiles. We don't belong here. So we got to stick together. We need each other. How many of you used your church directory this week to reach out and show love to another Christian in your church family? Sent them a card, made a phone call, sent a text, arranged a video chat, went over to their house, or shoveled a walk, or whatever, for another Christian. Love takes many forms. For the last two years, it's often taken the strange form of keeping your distance or wearing a mask. And of course, more often in history, love has meant not keeping your distance and moving towards someone else to meet their needs, seeking their best interests, even at a personal cost, just like Jesus did. Notice how we're not supposed to be passive, even if the world is falling around our ears. I mean, I kind of like, okay, if the world is coming to an end, I'm going to get out the popcorn, right? Oh, this is interesting. Wow. He says, no. Put away the popcorn and get to work. Love one another deeply. Get busy loving each other. And the kind of love that Peter emphasizes here is a forbearing, forgiving love. Did you hear that in verse 8? Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, he doesn't say that love covers up sins. This is not deception. This is not sweeping sin under the rug or making excuses for someone or hiding sins from those who need to know about them. This is loving somebody and forgiving them, often before they ask, covering over with forgiveness. He's emphasizing here, I think, how love often overlooks an offense. I'll bet that many of you have done that this morning already. Somebody has sinned against you, uh, hurts, and you have already unilaterally forgiven them and are treating them freely as if they have not offended you. I'll bet that's happened here. Some of you may have already done it for me this morning. Thank you. Love is a powerful force, and eternity is really long, but time is really short. It's too short to be nursing grudges. King Solomon said, Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. Time is short. Whom do you need to forgive? The third priority is another specific way of showing love to one another, and it's hospitality. Look at verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter says the world is going to end, so open up your homes. Here's point number three. Share freely and host. Share freely and host. Think clearly and pray. Love deeply and forgive. Share freely and and host. 
other people, especially other Christians. Peter tells his readers that they, and therefore we, ought to offer hospitality to one another. Did you know that's a thing Christians are commanded to do? It's not optional. Something that we are all called to do. Now, in the first century, it often meant, hospitality meant, giving a fellow Christian a night's lodging, being a bed and breakfast for them as they journeyed. It means to open up your home and share your personal resources with others. It means opening up your hearts and your homes to other Christians. Now, of course, this can take different forms in different circumstances. And it doesn't mean that every single time somebody needs a place to sleep or dinner that you have to open your door for them. But it does mean that we ought to regularly be opening our doors to other Christians and sharing our personal resources. God's given them to us to share. Wally and Nesta Kephart have volunteered to house Kim and Jan Cohn when they come next month to speak at the Wild Game Dinner. That's awesome and a great application of this text. This week, you all showed hospitality when you helped pay for a night in the Quickfield Motel for a family that was just about stranded here traveling along Route 80. I got a call on Friday about a family with five adults and three little children and two dogs who had been burned out of their home in Massachusetts and were moving across country with all their stuff that was left in a moving van, pulling a truck behind them, trying to get to Missouri where they have some family. And anybody remember what the weather was like on Friday? I thought I was so smart I'd taken home all my work. I don't have to leave. Robin can take the all-wheel drive to work. I don't have to go anywhere. And the phone rings. And this family's like, they need help. And I got up and I met the folks and I bought them dinner on your dime and I bought them a tank of gas on your dime from your compassion fund here. And then they got back on the road the next day. That's hospitality. And you were showing it. And Peter says that we need to do that without grumbling. I admit I did a little grumbling when I got that call phone rings. I'm like, I, I planned ahead. I don't have to go anywhere today. And then I repented of that attitude. And I went and I came back joyful and blessed. The end of all things is near. That's scary, isn't it? Well, we Christians need to stick together and pool our resources and host each other in our homes. As we're able and as it is loving to do, we need to have each other over. Now, maybe you don't have a house party right now during COVID. Some of you will. But especially if you're meeting someone else's need, open your hearts and open your homes. 20 years ago, when I first preached this passage, 241 months ago, we had not yet moved into our home in Lance. It was almost done. We were almost home, almost home. We were going to move in the first week of February, and we couldn't wait to open it up to you. You had just bought us a big dining room table as a housewarming gift. It, when we open it up, it goes to like 10 feet long. 
And over the years, it's been our joy to have so many of you around our table. And we look forward to many more. Yes, hospitality is costly. And we don't always feel like it. It's easy to get tired of guests. Heather's grandpa used to say that guests were a lot like fish. After three days, they stink. (laughs) But Jesus opened his heart and opened his veins for us. We can open our hearts and our homes. Amen? One last one, number four. Serve faithfully and praise. Serve faithfully and praise. Apparently, Peter's emphasis on hospitality has prompted more thoughts for him on serving. Look at verse 10. Each one, okay, that's everybody, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. The world is ending, and Peter wants us to serve each other. Notice he does not say, if you've received a gift, then use it, as if it's like a lottery and you may or may not have gotten one. He assumes that everybody has received a gift and says that we are to use whatever gift we have received to serve others in love. Our gifts, and everybody's got them, are not for ourselves, they're for others. My gifts are not for me, they're for you. Your gifts are not for you, they are for others. So we don't use them selfishly, but faithfully. We're stewards of them, we're managers. We use them for the good of the whole body. I love that it says that these gifts come in various forms. The old King James Version says we are to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There are so many gifts, so many gifts in this room. Darla, you are gifted. God has given you gifts. Roy, you are gifted. God has given you gifts to use in the body of Christ. Randy, you are gifted. God has given you gifts to use in the body of Christ. Molly, you are gifted. God has given you gifts to use in the body of Christ. Candace, you are gifted. God has given you gifts to use in the body of Christ. Rob, I'm not so sure about you. I'm just kidding. I was building up to that. You are gifted. God has given you gifts to use in the body of Christ. Amy, you're our newest member. God has gifted you. He's given you gifts to use in the body of Christ, and we're so glad that you're using them in the body of Christ. I could say this about every single one of you who are believers in Jesus Christ. You have been given gifts, not to hoard, not for yourself, but for the whole church. Some are obvious and upfront, loud gifts. I've got some of those. And if you have them too, we have a great responsibility in how we use them. Look at verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Wow, that's a heavy responsibility. 
But speaking gifts are just only one kind of gift. There are lots of different gifts to be used in service of the body of Christ. Look at verse 11 again. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. You see, the gifts are from God, and so is the strength to use them faithfully. We trust in the Lord to empower us to serve others. Are you doing that? How are you using your gifts to serve other followers of Christ? It can take all kinds of forms. For some of you, it's sign up for that shovel the walk thing. Others of you look at that wild game dinner list and say, I could do a pie. I could cut some potatoes in the kitchen. I could set up a table. Maybe it has nothing to do with a program we're doing here at church or the building or an event. It has everything to do with taking what God's given you and serving each other in love. Church is not a spectator sport. We're not supposed to be fans in the stands, but players in the game. Time is short, really short. We don't know how long. And so we all need all hands on deck so that God gets all the glory. Did you see how this all ends up? Look at verse 11 again. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things, the end of all things is near, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. That's where this is all headed. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This journey ours together, we're almost home. Unto that great forever, we're almost home. What song anew we'll sing round that happy throne. Come faint of heart, we're almost home. Almost home, we're almost home. So press on toward that blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord, we're almost home. Not there yet, but we're closer now than ever before. So we should think clearly and pray. We should love deeply and forgive. We should share freely and host each other in our homes. And we should serve faithfully with our gifts, whatever they are, so that Jesus Christ is praised. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.